0: Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. Uh, We have been journeying um, through a series called Storyline. Storyline. And it's kind of self-explanatory in my opinion, but it's been an opportunity for us to study the great men and women of God's word and how he has been a part of their stories and examine then how God in his character and his way is also a part of our stories and navigates our journeys with us. And so the past few weeks, Pastor Justin had been talking to us about a man called Elijah who was a prophet in the Old Testament and Elijah was um, a wonderful man, Um, we were introduced to him by a simple phrase. Um, He's a Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. And it was such a little nugget to say that his identity was wrapped up in this little bit, but then his story unfolds with so much beauty and power and um, depth of God moving in it. And so, Elisha in 1 Kings in the Old Testament he has this opportunity to go up to King Ahab Ahab who was the most horrible evil king that they had ever had and he was doing more evil in the sight of God than any of the other kings that Israel had ever had and so he walks up to him and he says Ahab I need to let you know there's going to be a drought and through this drought there's going to be famine and heartache and pain and people are going to be sad but I need you to turn to God you're gonna see God at the end of this. And Ahab's like, uh, get out of here, no way. And and Elijah has to flee. And he hides in the desert. And God tells him to go to a place called the Kareth Ravine, which is a beautiful river. And he hides there. And God provides for him through a raven who shows up in the morning with meat and bread and in the evening with meat and bread. And through this faithfulness, through this waiting, through his patience and what he had learned there at the Kareth Ravine, Elijah becomes so strong in his faith that he's eventually able to raise a young man from the dead. His faith is so strong that we see this magnificent act of God's power through Elijah and his faithfulness. And in that story and in that account, Pastor Justin helped us to see that obedience is the key ingredient to God showing up in our lives. And last week, we saw even more of Elijah's story. As as God tells him to go back, come out of hiding, it's okay now. I want you to go talk to Ahad again. And I want you to tell him that that the drought can be over. And so Elijah goes and talks to him in fear and trembling trembling probably because Ahab and his wife Jezebel wanted Elijah dead. And so Elijah goes and talks to him, and he says, listen, let's do this fair. Let's figure this out. You are worshiping all these false gods, these, this Baal and Asherah. Let's do a showdown. Let's take it up to Mt. Carmel. He didn't say it in those words, by the way, but this is the gist of it. They take the battle up to Mount Carmel, and they say, okay, we're going to have a contest, a competition now. We're going to find out who the one true God really is. And all of the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, and the prophets of Asherah, 400 of those, they show up on mint Carmel, and elijah's there is like hey guys It's just me. And they set up two sacrifices. Baal, uh, the prophets of Baal set up their sacrifice and their altar, and Elijah sets up his. And the prophets of Baal call on God, and they're praying to the God Baal, and they're like, hey, Baal, come on, come on, let's light this fire, and you can send your fire and do this, and they pray and pray and pray and pray, and at one point, Elijah starts making fun of them. He's like, huh, maybe he's in the bathroom. Uh, He can't hear you right now. Shout louder, wake him up. And so eventually, um, they kind of give up, and Elijah's like, okay, let's watch this now. And he pours water, jugs and jugs of water over God's sacrifice there for him. And he kneels down humbling and says, God, hey, it's me. Listen, this is your time. In not those words, but yes. And then God sends his fire in such a powerful and, and like, just mind-blowing kind of a way that it burns up the sacrifice, the altar, the rocks, and the water. And the people who are there are just like, wow, we were wrong. Wow, God is God. And the prophets of Baal are destroyed. And Elijah has some victory. And so through the story, we walked away with these nuggets, false gods promise what the, oh, but only the true God provides. Also, We walked away with this as an inspiration. God isn't intimidated when the odds are stacked against us. And if you miss these messages from Pastor Justin, they were fantastic. You can um, listen to them on our podcast in a week or two um, as they're uploaded. But they are just very powerful encouragements. And I hope that you take the time to do that. And so I want us to enter this story at a point in time now where Elijah had gone through all of that. And it is just hours away from that. And he is celebrating because he had gone through so much. He had seen the people go through drought. He had seen God's provision in his life. He has seen a resurrection, been a part of that himself personally. He had seen this massive sacrifice by fire. He had seen the false prophets destroyed. And now it was the end of the drought. And you can imagine for Elijah now he's celebrating. He's feeling tremendous joy that this has finally been completed. The rain has come, the drought is over. He doesn't have to be in hiding anymore. And he is probably reveling in his own little victory. He probably did a victory dance, I won't do one. Um, But he is so thrilled that all of these three years of drought and hiding has now come to an end. And we pick up this story in 1 Kings 19. Verse 1, and so Ahab the king went home and he told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel loved these prophets. They were beloved. And so Ahab returns to his wife, and I wonder if Ahab may even be a little bit worried about his wife's attitude She's a scary lady, I gotta say. She's she's a scary woman. She's very hard and fast and angry and determined. And Ahab goes back and he doesn't necessarily, I don't think, tell the story correctly because he attributes all of this behavior to Elijah. And so suddenly, she's mad at Elijah. He should have went back and told her, hey, Jezebel, guess what? We were wrong, We were wrong all this time. Baal isn't powerful. Asherah isn't powerful. We were totally wrong. And they should have humbled themselves before God. But that's not Ahab's narrative to his wife. He doesn't say to her, You should have seen what the Lord has done, or the Lord of Israel is the one true God. Instead, he casts all the blame and all the glory of the situation onto Elijah. And she's mad. Jezebel is mad and so in the meantime while Elijah is feeling victorious and no longer in hiding because God has shown himself to um, many to hundreds through his great work he receives this message from Jezebel may the gods deal with me be it ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like one of them. Jezebel sends Elijah a death threat And Elijah was probably in great victory over what had happened. He was probably hoping that this message from Jezebel might say, Elijah, come eat at our table. We are so sorry for our our evil and what we have done. He was probably expecting to get patted on the back and maybe placed in a position of honor and glory with the king and the queen to be able to help them navigate the nation into worshiping God properly and, and serving him and doing good, and yet... He gets this death threat from Jezebel. She's mad. And all of that joy and all of that victory that Elijah had felt is suddenly gone. Now settling within to Elijah is a fresh disappointment. A fresh, deep disappointment right after God has done all of these great things. Fear Dread, and not just simple dread, the kind of dread that's heavy and thick, and all of his risks, his faith, God's miracles, and yet Ahab and and Jezebel were not changed, and he is in danger yet again, and he's disappointed. And so at this, he flees. He runs away. He's like, whoa, okay, they're they're still mad at me. What's happening? He takes off and he flees 80 miles or 130 kilometers um, to Beersheba. And he runs over there and he says, hey, to my servant, stay there, stay there. I'm going, I, I can't stay here. Maybe it's too populated. He wanted to go further into the wilderness where she still couldn't find him. And he wanders another day's travel into the wilderness outside of Beersheba. And there, in his brokenness, In this wilderness, we see a vulnerability from Elijah that we haven't seen before from him in his story. In the three years that he spent hiding and in fear, we do not see this kind of vulnerability. And in verse four, we see this. He came to a broom bush and he sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Elijah is exhausted. He's depleted. The individual who just days ago was the most courageous and he faced over 800 false prophets of God somewhat single-handedly, he had now run away and was asking to die. Elijah believed that he had failed. And if you want to continue reading Elijah's story later, Elijah ends up being one of the few individuals in scripture to never die. And so that's a spoiler or maybe a teaser for you. In this moment, Elijah is lying under this tree in the wilderness, secluded and alone, asking God to let him die. Furthermore, he says, I have had enough. I have had enough, Lord. Elijah is done. He's over it. If Elijah lived in the age of social media, he might have taken a selfie under that broom bush and posted it with the caption, can't even. It's like... What Elijah meant was, I can't do this anymore. I have been hiding away from Ahab and Jezebel for three years. I stepped out of my hiding and I failed. I fell on my face and Israel's is no better than, than it was before. I have failed. And he thought, he earnestly thought that the work on Mount Carmel would, would result in, ever, in lasting national revival, and it did not. And the work of Mount Carmel did not turn around the hearts of Ahab and Jezebel, and the leadership of Israel in general. And despite his energy, his risk, his obedience in the years of drought, his hiding, his pride, the people still rejected God despite the evidence He is disappointed into his depression by his unmet expectations. Elijah is disappointed into depression by his unmet expectations. Further in this prayer, he says to God, I am no better than my ancestors. If you know much about Israel's history you know that throughout their um, their identity as a nation they'd strive to serve God but failed tried to serve God but failed serve God and face failure and the prophets were individuals who were supposed to come alongside the people and, and help guide them into worshiping God in a way that was successful for the people so that they could continue their relationship with God in a way that was good and, and honored them and honored God and he is saying here i'm no better than them. I'm no better than the prophets before me. I could not accomplish what they could not accomplish. And what we see here in Elijah's weakened vulnerable state is that he had pride and vulnerability and his pride was so crushed because he thought that by God's work through him, maybe he was important. Maybe he was a good guy who could do a great work for Israel. And yet he's saying, I am no better than them. I am no better. I am weak. I didn't accomplish what I wanted to. And ultimately, although his prayer to us may seem like weakness and heartbreak, Elijah is honest. He's being honest before God in his brokenness. And this is important and a very important part of his journey, this honesty. And so after he prayed this, he fell asleep and was woken up later by an angel who said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat. The journey is too much for you. This angel acknowledged his weakness. He said, this journey is too much for you. So he got up, he ate, and he drank. I love that at this moment, when Elijah was suffering, and some might consider his behavior to be immature or sulking or temperamental, God doesn't come to him and rebuke him. He didn't rebuke Elijah in this moment God doesn't send his angel to lecture Elijah. He didn't even send ravens to bring him food as he had done in the past for him. But God sees Elijah in his full, frail human reality and meets his very physical needs. Elijah rested and received from God his provision. He rested. And let's be honest, if our physical needs are not met, it's very difficult to move on to more challenging needs. So I appreciate and respect that God met his physical needs first. And we know how challenging needs like hunger and rest are. And there are two terms right now that are rampant in society, and one that's a little bit more popular, and I'll get to those, but I'm a mom uh, this is like confession. I have a 10-year-old and I have a 3-year-old and parenting is hard. And one of the main things of parenting, if you're taking notes and you're going to be a parent, maybe you haven't figured this out yet, managing their energy levels and their hunger is very important to children. It's important to adults. Managing their hunger levels and their energy. If you do not manage their hunger and their energy, they will melt down and then everyone starts crying. The adults, too. I've been there. Oh, goodness. Some car rides. If you plan things and you just don't get the meal in, bring granola bars. And so there is a word that's used in society now, quite common. Um, it's called hangry. This was actually added to the dictionary, the real dictionary, in 2018. This is hungry and angry. And so this is really common. People experience this. And you might be sitting next to someone this morning that missed their breakfast and you're thinking, that's what's wrong. I have, I have a little granola bar here. If there's someone here later and they're really hangry, um, you can pass this along to them after the service. You can thank me later. This Knowing this could save your relationships. I'm just saying, one of our staff feels this real powerfully. I won't say who, but you can make your guesses and ask around later. Now, there's another word that's a little less commonly known. It's called tangry. Tangry is tired and angry. And this one hasn't been added to the dictionary yet. I'm petitioning for it to be added because this is one that myself and my children suffer from quite aggressively. And my husband would be like, yes. And he can pinpoint throughout the day and say, Crystal, did you have enough sleep? He, can, he calls me out on it because I'll say, no, I have not. And he'll say, go take a nap. And I say, thank you. You look after the kids, and I'll take a nap. But my kids and myself, if we do not get enough sleep, we are useless. And we are sometimes angry. I know that I'm not supposed to be angry, but if you're tired and you can't control yourself, it's just the way it works. And Elijah was probably a mixture of both both of these things. Poor Elijah. Tangry and hangry. (laughs) And so God sent him an angel To say, Elijah, here, here's some food, rest, and come back. He came back a second time and said, here, eat this and rest. God acknowledged that Elijah was human and needed to eat. He needed rest, and we all do sometimes. He took the time to address his physical needs before he moved on to his spiritual, his emotional, and his leadership needs. So strengthened by this food, Elijah then was able to travel 40 days and 40 nights till he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night This mountain was also known as Mount Sinai. And the cave that he had went into was probably the same cave that Moses went in when he encountered God. And so Elijah takes 40 days to navigate what was probably 20 miles. And so Elijah's still resting a little bit, because 20 miles isn't all that far for a 40-day journey. So I imagine Elijah was doing a little bit of self-care, maybe sat down on a rock, dipped his feet in some water for a few hours. Maybe he went to visit someone, had a cup of tea at their house and you know, stayed, he took his time traveling to Horeb. And so he didn't rush. And we know that Elijah journeyed toward encounter with God in his spirit. He didn't hurry it, but this was his goal. He was journeying toward an encounter with God. And so once he arrives at the mountain, Elijah enters what was probably the same rock. And so he knew that he was going to face God. He was going with purpose to encounter God. And there he went into a cave. He spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah answers, I have been very zealous for the Lord, God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They have torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Forty days later, Elijah's narrative from his prayer in the wilderness asking for death has changed slightly. He's a little less desperate, but yet his prayer is still showing his brokenness. He's still broken. He's still feeling the pain and the desperation. Elijah is complaining. He has been very faithful to God, and yet he's still in danger. He's expressing that it doesn't feel fair to him, it's not fair he's saying. He didn't get what he wanted from his efforts. He feels isolated, he feels alone. When people are discouraged and going through difficult times, it's really easy to feel like you're just all alone in your journey. And his discouragement that he's been feeling since what he considered his failure is allowing fear and doubt to rise in his character. And God says to Elijah, Go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is going to pass by you. And then, many of us are familiar with this passage, but then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. God commands all of those things, the wind, the earthquake, the fire. But yet he was intentionally showing his gentleness to Elijah in this moment. Elijah had already been witness to so much of God's power in this moment, it was an exertion of power that he needed. He didn't need that. He needed comforting from his father. And the voice it said to him, "'What are you doing here, Elijah?' And Elijah replied with the very same thing he had just said inside the cave. "'I have been very zealous for the Lord, God of hosts, "'for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, "'torn down your altars, "'killed your prophets with the sword.' I alone am left and they seek to take my life. And it's exactly before. And I wonder if Elijah and his 40 day journey had been practicing this speech to give before the Lord and had honed it and decided this is what I need to say. I need to help God see the truth of this. I need to be honest with God in this and this is how I feel. And so he tells God the same thing again to his face and God says, Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel, Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. And here God deals with several of Elijah's underlying concerns. And it may seem confusing until we take a moment to stop And consider, God didn't reprimand him. He didn't say, No, no, Elijah, but he gave him a plan. And he realizes that God still has a plan, that things were not completed on the mountain, things were not over. God still has a plan for Elijah. And he's reassured that he can share the burden, it's not his alone to carry. Elijah needed to know that the entirety of that problem was was not his. God had new leaders to rise up. Elijah knew that Ahab and Jezebel would be displaced as rulers by God's command, and he felt comforted by that promise. God also responds with helping Elijah come out of his self-imposed seclusion by giving him community by the way of a successor in Elisha. Elijah now had an action plan from the comforting voice of God himself. He did not need to remain in his discouragement. He could now see that the Lord's plans with him and Israel did not conclude on the mountain. And there was was more to do, and he would not be doing it alone. And so God also reassures Elijah that he wasn't, in fact, the only believer remaining. Because at the end of that, he says, I alone am left. And God says, well, Elijah, I yet reserve 7,000 in Israel. And all those knees have not yet bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. There are 7,000 yet in Israel who believe in me. That's quite the church for Elijah, if he wanted to plant one. But Elijah could now feel hope. He could feel hope where he had felt despair because God had given him a plan. He had given him community. He had given him the ability to cast off some of his burden and share it with other leaders. And he knew that he wasn't alone. He wasn't going to have to do it alone. Elijah trusted God when he was told that it was time to move forward. In the midst of all of its despair, He had been able to seek him, to be honest with God, to encounter him and trust him when God said, now it's time to move forward. And if the band could return. I'd like for us to just be clear here for a moment and make sure we're not missing this. Elijah was God's prophet, a voice to the people. And he was obedient to God in a very difficult moment, and many difficult moments, three difficult years. And we may be surprised by Elijah's weakness in this part of his journey. We may even want to wag our fingers at him and say, come on now, Elijah, get up. What's the big deal? Don't you know God is powerful? Get over it, Elijah. Pick yourself up. But God didn't scold Elijah. He didn't where we might be able to look at Elijah's entire story and say, dude, get over it. God did not scold him in his brokenness. God did not scold him in his depression. God did not scold him in this time of weakness. Instead, God was telling Elijah through his behavior and his actions, I am not disappointed in you. You may be disappointed in yourself, but I'm not disappointed in you, Elijah. He was not ashamed of Elijah. He loved him and he understood him perfectly. And so God responded to Elijah in exactly the manner that he needed. He didn't address Elijah's weakened spirit with great exhibitions of power, but he approached him with calm gentleness and provision. He served his physical, emotional, spiritual, and leadership needs with gentleness. Elijah executed God's plans, but they were done with God's great power and authority, and yet he still fell prey to fear and disappointment. Elijah was a great man of God who executed great powerful miracles, and yet he still fell prey to fear and disappointments he was not immune he was human and fear and disappointments surged in this moment in elijah's life we are all let us not fool ourselves or kid each other we are all susceptible to finding ourselves in in situations in which we feel empty we feel like we're just not resourced to carry on anymore we can't even We feel that at times, and not in the ironic, internet, social media way, but in the real, hard, difficult way, and we must remind ourselves that God can do great miracles to change lives, to change nations and people groups, but God also works with gentleness, in the tender weakness of our bodies, our hearts, and our minds to help us navigate our way forward. In these past few weeks, as we have seen in Elijah's story, we've seen him elevated from being identified from his origins as a Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead to being provided for by God while he was hiding in the Kareth ravine to resurrecting a widow's son from the dead while he was hiding from people who wanted to kill him during a drought. We saw him being used by God in facing Ahab and 800 And fifty prophets of false gods. He was the obedient instrument through which, through which God would show His power. And here, we see Elijah, following many great and tremendous victories, unable to celebrate what God has done, feeling depressed, defeated, scared, alone, and exhausted. Have you faced trials? That have left you feeling like Elijah. Maybe you've struggled with trial after trial and like Elijah, you're wondering when the finish line will come so that you can move forward in peace and in victory. Have you served the people around you, your job, your family, your church even, in a way that has left you feeling just empty and exhausted? and maybe you've been by someone's side while they've struggled and you've poured out yourself to lift them up and you're becoming so tired, but they still need more, they still need you more and you're starting to feel guilty and ashamed by how tired you're getting because they need you and you want to serve them and you want to hold them up, but you're just feeling exhausted. And maybe you've been fighting a battle day after day after day after day, and it's been waging. And like Elijah, you feel like you've been hiding or running and you thought the end was in sight and then suddenly it wasn't, the battle wasn't done. The report came back and it wasn't what you really were hoping for this time. You thought it would be done and it wasn't done and the battle waged on. You need to know that God is still with you. He is still beside you, reminding you to receive what you need from him. Today, God wants you to be assured that he is for you and he desires to serve you in your needs. When you are in places of joy and triumph, He is there. When you are in places of hard work in the middle of the journey, calling down fire from heaven, He is there. And when you got to the end of yourself and you got nothing left, He's right there in His gentleness to lift you up. So stop feeling ashamed for those moments. Stop feeling like we can't rest when God has called us to rest. God is powerful. Yes, he can command all of nature. Yes, he is the great creator. Yes, he is the master of the wind, the earthquake and the fire, but he is also the still small whisper in the quietness of your solitude. So like Elijah, we must be honest before God in our trials. Let's be honest with God. He wants to hear your heart as raw as it may be. And like Elijah, we must rest and receive from God his provision. We are human, he's not. He can keep going. We need rest. We need to receive from him. And like Elijah, we must journey toward encounter with God and His Spirit. You gotta step out of it at some point. Take 40 days, take a cup of tea, but journey toward God and His Spirit and encounter Him. Like Elijah, we must trust God when He tells us it's time to move. When God gave Elijah a plan, it wasn't hard. It actually relieved Elijah, it gave him a lot of freedom to say, you're not alone anymore. Look, here's Elisha. He's gonna come alongside you and help you. Here are 7,000 believers for you to be in community with. Here are some new leaders that I'm gonna rise up so you don't have to be afraid. And my name will be known in, in the land again and the people will come back to me. So when God says to us, It's time to move forward. Here's your plan, one step at a time. Here's your community. Here's your small group. Here's your church family. Here's a night where you can worship and commune with me. Take a step, trust him and move forward. He is the comforter. He is the provider. He sees beyond today. And Elijah may have felt caught in an endless cycle of problems to solve, brokenness to address, and yet God had a full plan that went beyond today. The burden didn't rest on Elijah alone. Instead, God brought him companionship, and so he was able to see the fruit of his efforts. God is not disappointed in you when you're sad, when you're broken, when you're empty. He comes alongside of us with gentleness. And I think about David and how David, David wrote such beautiful prayers and he, and there's one there that just reminds me to rest. And I want to share it with you in Psalm 91, the very first verse there. And it says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the most high, the shelter of the most high will rest in the shadow of the almighty. And I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Today, let's trust him. Let's hear him in his gentleness. Let's encourage each other and be lifted up. God is with you. He's not ashamed of you. He's not disappointed in you. He loved you so much that he sent his son to become one of us so that we could be redeemed and free and have victory. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon.